Hey guys, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to listen with us. We are about to hear a life-changing message from Pastor Brett. Thanks for coming to church. Thanks for being uh, in church today. And it's good to be in the presence of God. And it's good to be with you. And there's something about making that choice that's significant. And uh, today we're talking, we're going to continue on our series called Child of God, and uh, I apologize if I sneeze or cough at any time, but we'll just roll with it uh, together. Uh, if you're using your YouVersion Bible app, all the verses are locked and loaded on there for you. Otherwise, thank you. I feel the blessings of God pouring over me right now. We're going to jump in to Matthew uh, chapter 3, and just before I read it, I should let you know that I got to sneeze again. receive it. Uh, Here we go. This is the moment. Yeah, let's just bring those right up here. Yeah, that'll work. That's great. We'll just throw that there. Good thing we're not filming this service. All right. Matthew chapter 3, the moment when Jesus is getting baptized. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Um, So the heavens opened up a voice. That was pretty good, right? When you're sick, you get the lower lower octave there. My dearly loved son. Um, Sounds more scary than positive, but uh, you love him because he scares you. Um, Yeah, Darth Darth Vader. Uh, That's a really bad thing. We're talking about child of God, and the only thought that I've left you is that God the Father is a lot like Darth Vader. Anyways, hey, uh, so this amazing moment where obviously Jesus, before he literally did anything uh, of earthly measure, meaning before he started his ministry, before he raised, you know, people from the dead, before he healed the sick, before he opened blind eyes, before he opened deaf ears, before he fed 5,000 people with Lunchables, before he did any of those things, before he told the waves to stop before he pulled a coin out of a fish mouth, before he did anything of what we would understand as ministerial significance, before he did any of that, before he fought off the devil in the desert, rumble, well, I'm going to say rumble in the jungle, but it's clearly the desert, uh, before he did any of that, he heads down to the water, and John's like, whoa, 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 I cannot baptize you, Jesus. You're Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know, but come on. Do me a solid, cuz. They're literally cousins. And he's like, fine. And the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit comes. And in that moment, this is actually a significant moment because this is the really one of the first times in Scripture where we see the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit coming, and the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. We see the totality, the total package, the whole trinity right there in one moment. And the father, get this, before Jesus did anything. I mean, he's a 30-year-old man, so I guess in today's society, we should give you a reward. You're a 30-year-old man. You made it. Uh, He's not living in his mom's basement, so Jesus is winning. Before he did anything, his father said, this is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. And you're like, what are you pleased about? He hasn't done anything yet. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. You ever, uh, do you remember those moments when you're a little kid and you went to the swimming pool and you're about to go up, level up to the next diving board? And you're like, Dad, Daddy, 
watch me. And you want to jump off the diving board. You want to show your dad that you made it up to the next level. But he's, you know, back in the day before there was phones, probably reading a magazine. Nowadays, your dads are scrolling, uh, heavy scroll. And you're like, dad, 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 daddy, dad, 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 dad. Watch me. Watch me. And you just, you just want to, like, show your dad that you could do that next level jump off the diving board. We've got this moment. I, I actually believe that, that there is something deep inside each and every one of us that has a desire. It's, 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 it's a gap that's within inside of us that wants just the validation and the love and the blessing of our Father. And it might, you, you know, you might be like, oh, I, I don't want to talk about this today. I'm like, cool. We're going to. Because there is a gap and a hole that exists in us. For an earthly father and for a heavenly father. But because of our earthly father at times and what we've been through, what we've gone through, what we've experienced, we have limited our relationship with our heavenly father. But let's just dive in first. A.W. Tozer, an author and theologian, says this. Uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why don't you close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. What do you think of when you think of God? Do you think of a cosmic genie who's up like blue like Will Smith now and like he just grants you wishes maybe you think about angry old man up in heaven who just is getting ready with lightning bolts to zap you if you come to church do you think about you know the cute caricature old man God with a white robe and a long white beard who is not relevant he's out of touch does nothing for your life but he's at least he's always got candy in his pocket you know maybe you think of <clears throat> absence God who's just enjoying the luxuries of heaven and there's little cupid like cherubim flying around with grapes and he's just letting you toil down on earth what do you think about god how do you see god aw tozer continues and he says we tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of god you can open your eyes again or sleep if you want it's fine we tend to move towards our mental image of God, meaning whatever way we think about God, we are drawn towards it. There's this pull. There's this gap that happens in our souls, and we're just pulled, and we're drawn toward it. And however we see God, we actually begin to manifest it in our life. So if you see God as like the, the, the make or misses God, he's judging your life, and he's like, that's the kind of you know, God he is, and then you're going to live your whole life going, okay, well, today I did five good things, and I did four bad things, so I'm plus one. Awesome. It's like counting calories, but with your soul. And you're like, okay, great. And so the whole, you will live your life trying to perform and to be a good person and do good things. And you will assess that your love or the way that you're assessed is with your love relationship with God is only if you end up being plus one at the end of every day. And if you end up being negative one or negative two because you are keeping score, you'll feel this insignificance and this lack of worth that overwhelms you. And you just begin to move in that way. The truth is, and, and we'll just say it plain and we'll say it straight because it's a, a, it's a long weekend Sunday. The truth is, if you have a flawed perspective of God, you will end up with a flawed life. I'm like, that sounds a little harsh. Maybe. But that's why we need to dismantle our preconceptions of who God is and understand who he is according to his word because he's been revealing himself throughout the generations, throughout history. In fact, 189 times alone in the Gospels, Jesus mentions God the Father. 189 times in four books. 
if we could frame or reframe or understand who the Father is, I believe it will literally transform our lives and it will change the trajectory of our lives because we will move towards our loving, perfect, heavenly Father. It's the power of the pull. You're like, I don't know that the Bible actually talks about God being the Father that many times. Oh, so we want to do this today. Okay. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've, I've wondered, like, so we think about the power. Like, I get Jesus because he's, he's like a person, right? Like, it's, I, I can relate to a person, which is actually why Jesus existed, so that the totality of God could be fulfilled in one man, so you could have a connection point. But sometimes it's like, man, this all-powerful being who's sovereign, omnipotent, he's got the power to create the universe, and who I literally cannot see face-to-face or, or I will die. How do I have a relationship with that kind of power? The Bible talks about his holiness that you can't even get close to him, that you have to purify yourself to such a level to even get near to God. It's like, that's why I feel like this disconnect at times, because it's like, that just seems so far away. It doesn't seem like I'll ever be good enough. Listen, Moses was described in the Bible as a friend of God, and even Moses could not see God face to face. God put him in the cleft of a rock and, you know, in the crack of a rock and walked by. And he said, listen, when I get a long ways off, you just put your head up and go, there he is then you'll know that I'm here. But you can't see me face to face. How do we have a relationship with that kind of power? Jesus boiled it down into some simple words. He says, when you pray, or when you talk to the cosmic force that controls the universe, do it like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We connect to that power infinite amount of justice and sovereignty and omnipotence and omnipresence. We connect to it in a very simple way as our Father. This generation is known as the fatherless generation. Recent statistics would say every home, one one out of every four homes does not have dads. I would say the most recent information says probably basically two out of four or so half of families do not have dads in their home, which is staggering. And if you do any work in schools, you can see the impacts of this. And today I don't want to, like there are life situations and I'm not here to talk down to anybody, but we just want to talk to the impacts on a generation because I believe that this is actually a divine plan from hell. We talk about a divine divine plan from heaven, but there's a divine plan from hell. Because if 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 the, the enemy of our soul, Satan, could crack up our concept of the Father by breaking the earthly model, then he's created a stumbling block for us to connect with God, our heavenly Father. Right? Because we're like, oh, if it's anything like my dad on earth, I'm out. Don't want it. I like Jesus, but I don't like the idea of a heavenly father. I hate to break it to you, but Jesus is a perfect reflection of his father. So if you do not like Jesus, you do not like the father. And if you like Jesus, then without even realizing, you actually really like the father. Because he does nothing. He says, I spoke no words unless the father said it to me. I took no action unless the father led me. He's a perfect reflection of his father. So you cannot pick Jesus and not take the father. Like, I don't like my dad. I know, that's why we're talking about it. 
as much as I can discern, and I'm going to give some props to Louis Giglio for this, there are basically six categories of dads that many of us wrestle with, and you're going to notice that five of them are negative and one of them is positive. But we just have to be kind of straight up and understand what people have dealt with and what people are going through. And again, we're not looking to heap judgment on anyone for any situation where you're at now because there are dads who are not currently living in the home who are doing an amazing job of being dads. But we just need to really just just speak plain and speak clearly, all right? There's six kinds of dads. Absent dad. You could be absent because of natural causes. Death has taken them out of a scene, okay? It's not always a negative situation. There are also dads who do not live in a home who are very present. I want to say that. But there are absent dads who, they could be dads who just scroll non-incessantly, you know? Like I'm accused of doing, dad, 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 dad. Just not present. We have abusive dads, which I don't need to really unpack any more than the word itself. There's performance dads. You know, dads who like, will keep all the love and the adoration on you as long as you're meeting all the goals that are laid out. But then there's that feeling when you don't that he just withholds it as a motivator for you to get to that next level. There's the passive dad who's like, sure, whatever you want. And you tell all your friends that it, it's awesome that you can do whatever you want, stay out late do whatever you want to do, but there's just something inside of you, something deep inside your soul that just wished that there were some parameters put on your life so you could feel like somebody cares about you, that there was a line so that you could be safe, that somebody cared enough to think about establishing a line so you could be safe. There's antagonistic dad. This is possibly characterized by a dad who's obsessed with being number one. And so you always have to come in second, third, or fourth place to him, and he will crush you and your dreams to stay on top. But then there's the dad that I actually believe is most represented here in this room today, and that's empowering dad. Dad who probably has a characteristic of one of the others, but in spite of everything, you know that there's never-ending love, who knows he's not defined by those categories or those definitions, who when you're in the worst part of your day, he's there to pick you up. When you're in the best part of the day, he's there to encourage you, who walks down the hall telling each and every kid that, that they're his favorite even though all the other ones hear him say to all the other ones that they're his favorite. And then there's just a good sense of like, oh, wow, not only am my dad's, my fa- am I dad's favorite, but their dad's favorite. That means we're all his favorite. That means he loves us and he never stops loving us. And you don't feel a question about whether or not he loves you. And that when you, you fail at something, he's not there to condemn you, but he's there to pick you up. He's like, well, I told you so. But, or empowering dads, the dad who will say the thing like, hey, you're going to thank me for this later, son. And you're like, no way, you're a jerk. Then you're 30, and you're like, you're right. Thanks. <laughs> and yet there's still something inside of you that says, listen, I don't want a relationship with God the Father. If he's anything like my earthly dad, I am so out of here. I do not want that. My dad is all those things. And worse, I had a terrible experience. I'm out. I do not want that. Can I tell you that God is not simply a reflection of your earthly dad? Okay? God is not a reflection of your earthly dad. What God is, is the perfection of your earthly dad. 
So take all the best parts and the worst parts and think about the best possible outcome, and that's who God the Father is. He is the perfection of your dad. Your earthly dad is but an image. If you took, even if you had a terrible childhood, but there's one or two good moments, take those one or two good moments and magnify them by a million times, and that is who God the Father is. He is the perfection of your earthly father, not a reflection. In fact, he is the template, and he is the pattern. He is not following any template or pattern. And so our lives move in our directions towards that mental image of God. If you feel like God, if you feel like your idea of God is that he's absent and sitting in the sky, then guess what? Your life will be determined by a God who is absent, and you will do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want to do it, and just call on his grace when required. If you believe that God is sitting in heaven keeping score, then guess what? You will sit at home keeping score, and you will make sure that you're always plus one, but your self-worth will only ever be derived from how well you can perform. And it will trickle down into other areas of your life, like your marriage, where you will begin to keep score and decide who's winning your marriage until you realize in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love keeps no records of wrongs. You're like, oh, shoot, I should probably stop keeping score. But it's your understanding of God the Father that actually shapes those choices in your life. So A.W. Tozer stakes his position. But then another theological heavyweight, C.S. Lewis, weighs in with a completely different thought. And you're like, C.S. Lewis, doesn't he write Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? He did. And Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote some great fiction, but he also wrote some incredibly deep theological books. This comes from his book, The Weight of Glory. He says this, I read in a periodical that the fundamental thing is, uh, is how we think of God. So he's literally actually taking a shot at Tozer. Uh, by God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important. So he's saying not how we think of God, but how God thinks of us. That's more important. It's infinitely important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except in so far as it is related to how he thinks of us. In other words, Tozer is on one side saying, listen, how I think of God is infinitely important because I move in that direction. What Lewis is saying is it doesn't matter what I think of God. It's only what he thinks of me. What I'm saying is it's a both-and situation. How I see God will move me in a direction. And as I move closer and closer to God, I discover Jesus. And when I discover Jesus, I realize that the Father sees me through Jesus and I have a personal relationship with Jesus and when he sees me through Jesus he sees me as a son he sees me as a daughter he sees me as someone who he loves and in whom he is well pleased and so I take both thoughts and I wrap them up and I bundle them up I'm like yeah how God sees me and how I see God becomes a guiding principle for my life I'm taking it all I'm taking it all Today, I want to give you three guiding principles for your life. You're like, that sounds important. It is, and you should take notes. Three guiding principles. The first one, you're going to love this one. Are you ready? Sorry, I said, are you ready? Yes. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, number one, guiding principle of your life. You are loved. You're like, hold on. I know it's a long weekend, but do you have to, like, mail it in? You're like, that's, that's what you got, guiding principle for my life, you are loved? Like, seriously, like, that's what you have. Let me tell you a story, friends. In our small group uh, this past week, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, actually works in the smallest little details. And sometimes we loss over the small details to find the one big moment. 
but it's, it's in the significance in the small details that points us into the place of the greatest power. And so you might, I don't know if anyone noticed the chalkboard in the lobby. Uh, Emily did a great job and it says, you are loved. I walked in this morning and I saw it the same way you saw it. I just walked in the building and I said, oh, it says you are loved. I didn't tell her that this was the first guiding principle of my message today. I didn't tell her what to write or how to draw or how to design it. She just did it. So I think it's significant because it seems like a small thing, except that there's the presence of God evidence in the fingerprints in these tiny small things. So I think what he's trying to reinforce to us today is that you need to understand just how much he loves you. Because not only did he tell me to tell it to you, he told somebody else to draw it on the wall. You're like, I think I need a sign today that see God, so I know God loves me. Well, there it is. She literally drew it on the wall. You are loved. 1 John 3, verse 1. See? It's the action word. See? Can't you see it? 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Can't you see it? Because if you could see it, maybe you could live from it and you could make choices based on it. If you could see it, maybe it would reframe the way you see the world. Maybe it would reframe the way you see your life. Maybe it would reframe the way you see Jesus. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. He lavished it luxuriously. I love to say the L words. He lavished it luxuriously that we should be called children of God. Don't you see it? He loves us so much for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if you know anything about one and only sons, they're the sons that you love the most because it's all you got. It's your everything. He gave that up for you and me. He lavished his love on us with his son, Jesus, that we could become children of God. You see, God has no grandchildren. We just, he just has children. We're all in one generation. That's why Christians say weird things like, hello, sister so-and-so. You're like, why do people say that? It's because we're all children of God. We're brothers and sisters. It's the reality. We're all family now. It's why we call it the engaged family, because you become adopted into the family of God. To our heavenly father, we, he's adopted us. He brought us in. He lavished his love on us, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him or it did not know Jesus and it does not know our Father because Jesus is the perfect manifestation and reflection of who the Father is. But they don't recognize us yet because they don't know us yet. If we could just get it. Today, if you could just get this one thing. You know, if we were to do something crazy and have a light come on above every person's head, in this room who didn't feel loved, I think that this room would be shining bright. There are CEOs and entrepreneurs who have built great businesses and great companies, not because they're great CEOs or entrepreneurs, but because they were driven to show somebody that they were worth something. Only we could see that we are loved deeply by our heavenly Father. Until you see it, you can't live it. You can't move towards it. 
You can't live out of it. I see it. Can you see it? Can you see it? Come on, can you see it? Like I, I can see it, but I don't want to see it because I can't connect with this idea. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. <laughs> Second life principle is that we're no longer slaves. Romans 8 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You have not received a spirit of fear. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we call to Him, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is not the music group and it's not Waterloo. It's not any of those things. It's, a, it's the word of a small toddler reaching their arms up to their father saying, Abba, Abba, would you, would you pick me up? It's, it's not even translatable. It's this amazing, intimate, close nickname that a, a son or a daughter would give to their father. And now something comes into our hearts that something is Jesus. And he begins to help us see it in a new way. We see the love of God. And then we understand that we no longer have to be afraid anymore. You see, we've been convinced for a long time that the greatest benefit of salvation was that we don't have to go to hell. Right? We're like, hey, I'm just going to put my hand up, wave at church, we can count three, two, one, so I don't have to go to hell. We call it fire insurance. Right? I just don't want to go to hell. I'm just going to put my hand up. It says, believe in your heart, confess your mouth. I'm saying it out loud. I'll get there in here. It's fine. And we've, we've made a mistake because we've long thought that the, that was it, that the whole, the totality of the Christian experience of salvation was just that I don't have to go to hell. But what if we could see for a moment the unending love of God and if we could see that the best part of salvation is that I have a father. Something in my heart begins to cry out. And the truth is it always has been crying out, which is why you've been driven to do the things that you do and you've even succeeded or you failed in some areas because you had something to prove because there was a gap inside of you and now your heavenly father says, come on, let me fill the gap. Let me fill the gap. The best part about accepting Jesus in is that not only do I get Jesus, but I get a heavenly father and because I get a heavenly father I don't have to be afraid because he is powerful and he is present so I do not have to be afraid I do not have to be afraid I do not have to be afraid it continues on in Romans eight sixteen. but for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children You're like that sounds spiritual all that means is that when we accept Jesus in, there's something deep within us that confirms this fact, confirms this thought. We've got a father who loves us. Third life principle, and I am a child of God. Something in my soul lets me know that I'm home. That's why we wrote it out front, welcome home home. I'm home. I'm home with my dad. I'm moving back in with my parents. This is the only time it's socially acceptable for you to live with your parents when you live in a relationship with your heavenly father. 
come back home. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Nobody can take away from you the affirmation that you are a child of God. There's nothing that can take that away from you. It's something, it's a deep spirit knowing. It's something that's happening in the depth of your heart, in the depth of your spirit, in the depth of your soul. You're like, no, 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 I'm not feeling it yet because I don't like dads and I don't like my dad and I can't go there yet. God says, no, no, there's a crying out inside of you and the pain and the pangs of the pain, they are real, but they do not define you. The abuse, it was real, but it does not define you. The heartbreak, it was real, but it does not define you. The absenteeism, dad checked out, it was real, but it does not define you. And can I tell you, it does not define God. God is not that guy. He is the perfect image of that. And God wants to remind us today how much he loves us. Matthew 7 kind of does this incredible job of summing it all up. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. We'll continue to verse 9. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks the door will be open. We'll keep rolling. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I'm a child of God. My uh, parents have an acreage uh, just outside of Spruce. And last summer we were out there. My dad's always fixing something. Like he can literally fix anything. And so he's fixing something, and I think it was a lawnmower, and he just, like, sliced his hand, like, all the way open. Like, deep cut, like, gashing cut, like, like, horror movie kind of cut. And here's the thing. I don't do medical things at all. Like, there was a, like, when we had Kingston, I decided to watch the epidural needle go into his back. This is a terrible decision, because it's, like, this long. And I had to sit down, and she got the nurse got me a cup of juice, and like they really took care of me. It was really nice. Uh, <clears throat> this is like really, and I'm like, well, cheers. Um, so I don't do like medical things, and like my mom's even worse than I am. And like I feel like I thought I would get better as I got older, but I'm getting worse. Like now I can't even watch like the med- like I used to watch like the med- I still watch them, but I just turn away when they're doing surgeries on the medical shows. I'm like, nah. What if it's inside of you? It should stay there. Like I'm. I'm totally good. And so we, we did what any rational person is. We called the next available medical professional. We're like, Deseret! I mean, she was a dental assistant. <laughs> She's basically a medical professional. And, I mean, if you wore scrubs for a job, you're basically uh, a doctor. So we called her. And, you know, why is it that when the first, like, piece of, like, advice anyone gives is like, well, just go run it on some cold water. And you're like, uh, I don't know. But it is important to clean out the wound. And so 
my dad just kind of wrapped it up and he was just gonna like, ah, it's fine. It's like, no, no, it is not fine. The amount of blood that is spooled beneath you indicates to me that it's not fine, that you need to get this handled. And so they, he got it cleaned out and he went to the doctor and they cleaned it all out, which I guess was the worst, like worse than the actual cut. And then they fixed it all back together. But you know, something happens if you leave that wound open that it gets infected. And when it gets infected, all the dirt and all the junk and all the stuff that's in the air and all the stuff that you put your hand on, it just gets in there and it doesn't just stay there. That's the thing. It gets into your blood system. It gets into the bloodstream. It starts moving all over your body and an infection just, just, just goes so rampantly and so quickly through your body. If you just leave the wound open, if you don't do anything to treat it, if you just wrap it up and be like, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hold on to this. So if, if we know that's true in the medical body, why is it that we insist on leaving our hearts open with open wounds? We're like, hey, I can't deal with my heavenly father because I don't like my earthly father. We're like, let's deal with it. Let's, let's stitch it up. Let's wash it out. Let's clean it. Let's get some healing for you. No. And you're wondering why you're dealing with rage issues. It's because you've got an infection in your open wound. I told you I wasn't mailing it in today. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not done with you yet. Today, I'm sent by God to invite you to wash out the wound. It's not fun, and it might be painful. It is real, but it does not define you. He defines me. I am who he says I am. And today, I'm a child of God. I'm not a slave to my fear. Just because I'm afraid of cleaning out the wound doesn't mean it's trapped me. Doesn't mean it owns me. Doesn't mean it defines me. No, 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 no. I'm no longer a slave because I am loved by my heavenly father.